0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Michelski. I am the campus pastor over at the, at the not Mayfair Road, Jeez, I'm the campus pastor over at the East Side campus. Hello Eastside, I love you all. And I also want to say a special hello to all of you joining us at Mayfair Road, Sherman Park, online, and right here in West Alice. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here today for worship. Um, If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open that up to Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians in the first chapter. Um, If you don't, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a hard back, a black one somewhere around you in the seat back in front of you or end of your row. Um, But before we dive into into the book of Colossians, I just want to start out with a a quick question for you all. What are things that unite you to other people? What are things in life that draw you together to other people. Um, There was a, a, like last week actually, last Sunday, there was something that happened in the city of Milwaukee that I feel like brought a lot of people together. And it might be too soon because, of course, the event didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but um, over at the east side, we have three services. Um, we have uh, two at, one at 9, one at 11, and then one at, uh, at 5.30. And uh, for the first two services, there was all this energy for the Bucks game. You know what I'm talking about, right? People are showing up in their jerseys, and, and there's just like excitement around talking about the game, how we think it's going to go. I even saw someone wearing a Michael Red jersey, and I was like, that brought me back, right? And, and we, we were just all excited about this moment. And then, of course, you know, the game happened that afternoon and the 530 service had a bit of a different tone to it, (laughs) if I just say the least, right? Um, you know, we, the, the game ended, like, a, actually during the 530, it was, it was still going on, and it was, we knew that we couldn't come back. It was a blowout loss. Um, but things like sports bring us together. I grew up in northern Wisconsin, which is like a Packer country USA. Like, everyone lives and breathes Packers and sports, and it's amazing that when your team is winning, like, you have a lot of joy and happiness in that. But there's times when the team is losing that there's a lot of sadness and sorrow as well. We are united in solidarity to our teams. But does this unity, this same unity, happen in church? Does it happen within us as the church coming together If something as trivial as sporting events can affect our mood and bring us together, then something so important as the gospel with far more important ramifications ought to unite us even more. And that is what I'd like for us to look at as we look at Colossians here today. But before we enter and start into that, um, let's get a little bit of a lay of the land. Let's, let's just, just explore some background information about the book of Colossians. Um, last, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the book of Ephesians, right? The letter of Ephesians. Um, and Pastor Frank brought us through some, some really, really good ideas and themes throughout this letter, um, like how, how we have been transformed by the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, and how we are to put on this, this armor of faith for, for fighting in spiritual warfare. But, but the guy who actually carried the letter of Ephesians to Ephesus, his name was Tychicus. That's a fun name, right? Just say it, just say it with me, Tychicus. Come on now, you want to say it, Tukikis. It's a fun It's a fun name to say, you know? And, and he carried a, a, the letter to Ephesus, but he also carried three more letters. So we had the letter to, to Ephesus, but he also carried a letter to, to like, uh, Ephesus was a region, and there was a church in that region called uh, in Colossae, a city of Colossae. And he gave a letter to a church that was very similar to es- uh, Ephesus in theme, but it was more specific to their situation. But there was also a guy in the Colossian church whose name was Philemon. And Tychicus had a traveling companion whose name was Onesimus, a former slave of Philemon that ended up finding Paul, getting saved, and saying, "Hey." You ran away from your master. You got you to go back, and, and he will embrace you as a brother. Don't worry. I'll send a letter and tell him to, you know, and so, and so we are writing, we are looking at the book, this letter that's written into that, that, that event, into that background, and so we're going to be in the letter of Colossians, but let's open up this letter. Let's see what it has to say for us. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And there, there's just three three elements that I want us to see taking place here um, in our In our letter today, that are important background information. The first is that this letter was authored by Paul and Timothy, and they authored it while, while Paul was in imprisonment under, un, under, under arrest. And so that's an important element for us to to, to remember. Also, secondly, the Colossian church was started by a man named Epaphras. We have, we have no idea, really, if, if Paul actually visited this church himself. Paul commissioned Epaphras to, to plant this church, and from our knowledge, there's no, no reason that Paul actually visited, but Epaphras visits Paul while he's in prison, tells him about the church, and then writes this letter to them, to that, their situation. And then thirdly, the Colossian church is under severe pressure. The Colossian church is under pressure. We see this really in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 23 talk about the two main pressures that this Colossian church is is facing. And first of all, is that they're being, they're being kind of forced societally to just add Jesus to the pantheon of already existing Greek and Roman gods. Just add Jesus in, and that way you can still go through the day in, day-to-day day in, in society, but, but just add, add Jesus in. Just just add Adam and, and make him just a, another element of that. And like Paul says, no, no, Jesus is the center of all things. He's everything. And, and also, they were under pressure to observe the laws of the Torah to observe Jewish festivals and customs and feast days. Um, and, and Paul says, no, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And that doesn't have to be a pressure that's put upon you. And so amidst these pressures, Paul wrote this letter. And this letter's main theme shows us the centrality of Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything. In him, in him we should find the supremacy of all life and in every facet of life. And then in the third and fourth chapter of Colossians, he gives us real-life application of how to make Jesus the center of everything, including your household and how you live and interact with your wife, your children, and in this case, those that, that lived in your house and worked for you as well. And so that is what the main theme and idea of Colossians is all about. And we're actually not going to be diving into those main themes. You see, I, I have a I I think Frank actually, you know, told us this last, last week, but our fall series this, this year is going to be throughout the book of Colossians, and we're going to look at this beautiful letter and take it verse by verse by verse and walk through it and see that theme of the centrality and supremacy of Jesus coming through. But I really, I really want us to focus on is the first 14 verses, of Colossians. And the first 14 verses are this beautiful prayer of Paul to the church in Colossae and, and, and how he really wanted them to face these pressures that they were facing. And I think we can actually get some really, really good, good, solid um, structure and advice on how we can add to our prayer life. And be a part of our prayer life. And there's two questions that Paul's going to answer. The first one is, why should we pray? And the second one is, what should we pray for? Looking at verse 3 together, let's look at verse 3. Colossians chapter 1. We, that's Paul and Timothy, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in the Messiah, Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints. Here we see that Paul is, as verse 3 says, always thanking God for this church. Reminder again, Paul has never visited these people, but he still thanks God for them. And how can he be thankful? How can he love them so deeply? Verse 4, since he heard of their faith in Jesus. Let's go down to verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Verse 5 shows us that the motivation for Paul's prayer, why he's going and praying for these people, is motivated through the gospel. It is because of the gospel that Paul is praying for these people and deeply motivated to be thankful for them. Do you notice how Paul describes the gospel in this verse, in verse 5? What does he say? What does he say? It is the hope laid up for you in heaven. The hope that's laid up for you in heaven. I, I, I love this illustration of what the gospel is. You see, um, I'm a father. Um, those of you here might not know that, but those of you at the east side see my family quite regularly. There's going to be a picture of them we'll put on the screen of my, uh, of my two, two children. My, my wife Jenny and I, we've been married for six years, and we have two wonderful children. Um, Rory, who is four, and Isla, who is going to be three next month. This is them dressed up all fancy for Easter, and you know, that's just what you do as parents, right? Um, and it's really interesting. Um, I, I, thought, I thought of my life prior to having Kids and how our house was kind of arranged and looked. Um, we had, you know, breakable things, little trinkets. Um, I never had to cover any light sockets, right? <laughs> but then once you introduce a kid into your family or a child into your home, and you realize that, oh, my house is actually quite dangerous. <laughs> I got to start moving things up on a shelf, and I have to start covering light sockets, right? And then, as the child grows, so like they begin to start, you know, like sitting up onto stuff or or standing up to things, you realize, oh, I can't have stuff on the coffee table anymore. I got to put my phone up high where where Rory or Isla can't reach it. And like we actually velcro our Apple TV remote to the door frame high up so they can't really reach it and change channels on things. I've only seen velcroed remotes like nursing homes and things but you know we we put it up high we put it up high so they can't reach it and you see what would happen is that this week we, we actually faced faced another crazy milestone in our life my my wife shares a text with me that changes my life forever and this is what it what it says life as we know it may be over The kids have discovered if they push their chairs into the kitchen, they can reach more things than ever. And that shocked me to the core. Because there are knives in the kitchen and there are appliances in the kitchen. And oh my goodness, we have to do something here, right? But this this is what kids do. This is life in a house with children. And we have to protect them, right? We protect them by moving things up to a higher shelf, that moving them out of reach. But we also protect the things that we feel are precious and valuable in life, and we put them up at a higher shelf, out of reach. Not that they can never have it, but they're just not ready yet. And we see that, G- that Paul, as he describes the gospel, he describes it as a treasure for us, a precious treasure that is laid up for us in heaven. It is safe in heaven. It is secure in heaven. All the promises of the gospel in the scriptures are secured for us by our God and kept safe until the precise right moment when we can experience eternal life and eternity with our Savior in the heavenly realm. And we live in light of that hope. And Paul prays In light of that hope. Verse 6. This hope, this gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. Paul sees that this future hope is at work among them. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing and multiplying since the day they heard it and understood it. It continues to grow. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ to you on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And here we see Paul mentions that one that planted the church, that pastor, their, their spiritual shepherd in the faith named Epaphras. And it was him that shared the good news of Jesus to this church and then shared the love of this church to Paul. And it's because Epaphras shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus to this church, that we come back to Paul's motivation. That's the reason why he's praying, is because of the gospel. Paul felt connection with this people because of the gospel. Paul grew to love this people because of the gospel. Grew near to never cease in praying for these people because of the gospel. We share connections and bonds with things we love all the time. I mentioned the sports illustration that we shared at the beginning. I also enjoy watching Marvel movies, which I'm sure you know there's a few other people here at Epicos that enjoy the same. Like, we actually have a text thread between me, Pastor Frank, and Tommy. um, And we share, you know, different texts about Marvel upcoming movies, uh, tweets and memes and things of that nature. Um, But guess what? I have a confession to make. Though I love Marvel, I have an actual deeper appreciation for the franchise known as Star Wars. And it, it saddens me that Pastor Frank does not share the same love that I have. <laughs> you see, I was really, really excited for the new Obi-Wan Kenobi movie coming out. Who else is pumped, right? Who else is pumped? It's going to be awesome this week. Okay, so I just shared the trailer when it dropped, right? In our Marvel, our Marvel text thread. And Pastor Frank responded to me, oh, that's not on brand, <laughs> Get that, get that trash out of here. And it, it hurt me. Now now, Pastor Tommy shares my same love for, for Star Wars, and there's actually more people at Epicos, Pastor Anthony, Ashley Kilgis, Mike McLaughlin, Travis Sternhagen, that, that share the love that I have for Star Wars as well, and we form a bond in this way, too. But if we share such unity and bonds over silly things like science fiction and sports, how much more so ought we to share this unity With the gospel and our faith in Jesus. I want us to to just pause here for a second, and I want us all, whether you're here worshiping at Sherman, Mayfair, Eastside, or, or even online, take a look around this room. Usually we're all facing the stage. I want you, if you're up here, look back. Look around this room. Look at the people. Look at the individuals. Each and every one of you, almost everyone, if, you, if not every one of you, is connected to each other by our love and worship of Jesus and connected with each other through the gospel. Is there anyone in this room that you don't know? Is there anyone in this room that you've never seen before? I want to encourage you. The gospel motivates us to pray. It motivates us to cross the room for somebody. It motivates us to welcome them and share the love of Jesus with them. Because who knows how God's going to use that moment. And we are connected through the gospel. It is why we pray. But we also see, it begins to answer, it is because of the gospel that it also shapes what we pray for. Look at verse 9. And so... From the day we heard, that's the faith of the Colossian church, Paul and Timothy, we have not ceased to pray for you. They're relentless, they're ferocious in their prayers. We ask that you all may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here we answer the second question. Paul's focus for prayer is people. Paul's focus in prayer is people. Now let us remember, right? There's some heavy things happening in in the Colossian church, right? I mean, they got pressure to adopt Jesus into their pantheon of gods and just add him in. Then they also have the pressure from Jewish religious leaders to um, to, to add the the Jewish customs of of circumcision, no thank you, um, of religious festivals and feasts and Torah laws and Torah observance that they they should add this to their faith as well. And Paul could have prayed specifically for those circumstances, right? There are there are. A plethora of examples throughout the scriptures that see believers praying circumstantially. Look at the Psalms, Jesus in Gethsemane. Look at the book of Acts and how the church prayed for circumstances to change. But Paul chooses a different method here in Colossians. He prays for the people individually to be strengthened in their faith. Now, now, I want to I wanna say that there's multiple ways to pray, but we're going to just focus on praying for people here for the rest of this, uh, this sermon here today. Um, there are different ways in, in, in which you can pray, and if you want to explore more of those, I want to encourage you to go to hub.epicos.org. Pastor Frank put together a a packet of of articles and blog posts and and videos for you that kind of guide you in how to pray and different aspects of prayer. So I want to encourage you to look at that. It's at thehub.epicos.org. Write it down if you have time. Check that out this week. But we're going to focus on how Paul prays for individuals in the church. And he thinks that these issues they'll be able to face if he just prays specifically for them. And what, what does he pray for? He says that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in their lives how does Paul describe this knowledge of God's will he says to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding wouldn't that be cool (laughs) wouldn't that be really cool to supernaturally know what is God's will for my life maybe you're facing a decision what does God want me to choose? What does God want me to do? Have you ever wondered what is God's will for your life? Let me, let me share with you a silly example of how me growing up, how I used to think about God's will. And I'm going to share, as the sermon goes on, how that's changed. But I used to think that God was like this, this kid that has a magnifying glass, and I was like an ant. Just going about living my day, and all of a sudden I come to a fork in the road and god's up there with the magnifying glass just waiting for me to choose. And if i choose the wrong way, he's going to burn me and try to get me on the right path and if i choose the right way then i'm good and i'm safe and secure. That's how i used to think of god's will. It's this dichotomy of just you have to pick one of these two choices. One road god's going to curse you, the other road god's going to bless you. It's really like that kid like that kid from toy story, Sid He was a terrible human being, right? He was a terrible to those toys. This is what it kind of reminds me of. That's what my view of God was, was, was the Sid from Toy Story view of God and his will for my life. But what does Paul think? What does Paul think God's will is for the lives of these Christians in Colossae? Let's look at verse nine. He asks that you all, this church in Colossae, may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God this is God's will for your for your life verse 10 walk in, in a manner worthy of the Lord walk with Jesus. Learn what it means to disciple or apprentice and follow after Jesus. Everywhere you go, you bear the name of Jesus, and God's will for your life is that you emulate that name by looking like Jesus wherever you go. Secondly, bearing fruit in good work. As the gospel takes root in your life, the Spirit will bear fruit, in God's will for your life is to see that this fruit looks like love for others in the life that emulates the love for Jesus. That's God's will for your life, is to bear this fruit that's already taking root in your life through the gospel. And thirdly, knowing God more deeply. Verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. The only way to know someone more is by dwelling with them. What are ways that you dwell with God? Silence, solitude, reading his word, meditating on it. And as you continue to understand God's will for your life, you will, verse 11, you will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That makes sense, right? If you live your life with confidence, I know what God's will is for my life, that I will be strengthened with the power of God, with all power according to his glorious might, and that this confidence and strength will will produce, verse 11, endurance and patience with joy. Sounds an awful lot like what James was saying in James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. Us living with a confidence of God's will for our lives will allow us to face anything that we can encounter in this life. And Paul clearly lays out, this is God's will for your life. Follow Jesus. So let's return to that really lame illustration of God as Sid from Toy Story, right? I, I was talking with somebody this week and they, they, they told me that they see God's will a little bit differently and I loved how they, how they described it. They described it as a football field. Now, I love watching football. I was terrible at it. I broke my collarbone when I was in junior high decided never to play football again. That's why I got into Star Wars and Marvel. You know what? George Lucas never broke my collarbone. That was great. So that is why I went that direction in my life. But football is clear, clear how to play it. It has a clear goal in mind. And the same is with the will of God. The goal of football is to score as many points as you can and prevent the other team from scoring as many points as as they can. And the same is true. God has a clear goal for us. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love others as yourself and love your neighbor. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. And then he commissioned us, teach others and make disciples this truth. Teach this truth to others. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. But another thing with football, not only does it have a clear goal in mind, it also has boundaries, right? There's an out of bounds. There's also rules on how to make the game and play it safely and also to play it well and uh, competitively so it's a joy to watch. Not like turning off the, the settings in Marvel and Madden, you know, and then like going behind the linebacker, whatever. Okay, I'll, just, I'll continue. Okay, but there's also this boundaries in football present, and the same is true with God's will. He has a clear goal in mind for this universe and this world, but he also has clear boundaries, and God clearly guides us in his word what is unloving and sinful against others and against God. So, When you come to a decision in life, we already know God's will for your life. We already know the goal that's in mind. When you come to a decision, there's two great questions that you can ask, and you can write these down. Does this decision align with the mission of God? Loving God and loving others and making disciples. And secondly, does this decision fall out of step with the clear boundaries laid out by God and his word? Does the decision align with God's mission and does the decision fall outside these clear boundaries? You might be facing a decision of like I got a job opportunity to move to this city. And you know what? Both of those decisions might fall within this criteria. They both, you could do both things living on mission for God and you can do both things not going outside of God's boundaries. You know what? Go for whatever one your heart your heart is leading you towards, and God's going to bless you in that. But there are decisions in life that, you know what? God clearly says in Scripture, you probably shouldn't do that. Or there's going to be ones that are going to hinder you from actually living on mission for God. And so God's will for our life is clear. But as, as we begin to close, let us go back to the main premise of our passage here today. We are united by the gospel to pray for one another. We are united by the gospel to pray for one another, and the will of God is so important and integral to that. Paul is praying for these individuals, this church, that he has never met before. How can we pray for those that we've never met? Missionaries, the persecuted church, the church across the world globally. He is praying very specifically for their spiritual walk and practices. Let us look at how Paul closes. Verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul closes his prayer asking that the Colossian church be thankful for their inheritance. Remember that hope? The gospel hope that's kept safe for us in heaven. Be thankful for the gospel. It's through the gospel that we have been, as Paul says, we've been snatched from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus. It is a glorious, glorious light. In Jesus, we are redeemed and forgiven. If you want to know more about what, it, what that might mean for you, what that might mean for you to follow Jesus. like This is maybe your first time attending or if you would only attended a couple times and you're like, what does that mean to follow Jesus? On this Connect card that you received in your bulletin today, on the back, there's a place for you to fill in. Just check a box that says following Jesus and we'll send you some more information about that. But, but as, we, as we close here to get today, I want everyone to grab that Connect card out. Oh, wait. Everyone. Those of you worshiping online too, are worshiping online, um, at Sherman or Eastside or Mayfair, grab that Connect card. If you didn't get a bulletin on your way in, there should be one in the seat back in front of you or at the end of your row. Grab that Connect card that you received in your bulletin today. And I want the the worship team to to come up on stage here and and get ready to to close us out. But I I want us to dream for a minute. What would happen if we as a church started to pray like this? Started to pray for people in their spiritual walk. Like as I mentioned there's more resources at the hubthatepicost.org but if we prayed like this specifically for people spiritually we would grow and start to look more like Jesus because we believe in the power of prayer but also practically we would grow to love each other we would grow to encourage each other we would build each other up build each other up and start caring for each other and getting involved in people's lives Look around this room again Do it Look around the room again, wherever you're worshiping from. Pick one or two people. If you don't know their name, just write guy with the hat. I, I don't know. And write it in that section that says my next steps today. Write down one or two people or names specifically. And after, after service here today, we're going to go into our giving moment, our giving time, um, worshiping through giving. Drop that in the bucket as, an, as, a, as a commitment to say, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to put that on the altar and let God do what he will. I'm going to pray for that person two times this week. But, but write that name down. And right right now, I'm going to give us, give us a minute to, to pray for the people that you wrote down on that card. No one's going to record that information that you put there. No one's going to record that at all or anything. That's just between you and the Lord. But I'm going to give us some direction as we close out this time with praying. Pray silently in your seat for the people that you write down or the person that you write down. Now, it's going to be a minute of silence, and it's going to be awkward, okay? We live in a world of busyness and noise, and taking a minute to just sit and contemplate and pray is going to be weird, but we're going to do it together, okay? (laughs) We're going to do it together. Now, maybe you aren't familiar with prayer, but I want to invite you to just try it out today. There's no secret code language or having to say anything lofty with these these and thous and things like that. Just have it like you're having a conversation with a friend and talk to God like you're having a conversation with a friend. If you don't know what to pray for, I'm going to put some suggestions on the screen. Our our tech team is going to put them on the screen right now for you. Just pray over these things that Paul prayed for, for the Colossian church. All right, I'm going to give you a minute. I'll watch the time. Don't worry about that. And I'll close us with a short word of prayer after that minute is up. Let's go. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that each and every one of us as followers of Jesus would be filled with the knowledge of your will for our life, that we would understand your goal and understand those boundaries. I pray that we would continue to walk with Jesus daily and follow him, bearing fruit of the gospel wherever we go, that we would know God deeper than ever before. It would be strengthened in the power of God and be thankful and have endurance and patience and joy to tackle anything that comes our way. And Lord, I pray, most of all, we would have thankfulness in our, in, heavenly, in, our, in our heavenly inheritance, which is the gospel found in your son, Jesus. All these things I pray for in the name of him, in the name of Jesus.